Welcome to Catholic Family News Weekly News Roundup. I'm Brian McCall, the Editor-in-Chief of Catholic Family News, and we are coming to you on Friday, December 9th. Uh, This is an unusual time for us, but as uh, yesterday was the great feast, the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, uh, we did not uh, work yesterday, so we didn't do it yesterday, so we're doing the news today. Um, we weren't really sure what time, because unfortunately, uh, Matt Gaspers is uh, not feeling too well today. Uh, we were seeing if he'd be well enough, but uh, the show must go on, so he wasn't able to make it. Uh, so sorry about those who like to join us who didn't get advance notice of the time, although I see a couple people already joined. Uh, welcome, uh, Katie. Uh, I see you're here. Hi. Um, I'm glad you could join us on such short notice. Well, we have uh, a lineup of stories today, which are uh, really interesting and uh, really go along with a lot of things we've been seeing. So first, we're going to take a look at an emerging story in Rome uh, that appears to say that the Pope has intervened on behalf of a very prominent Jesuit uh, to undo canonical penalties found after a trial. Um, so we're going to look at a little bit what we know or what's being said about that and, and what we should make uh, uh, perhaps uh, of that. Secondly, we are going to uh, look at this phenomenon this week, last week, of the Twitter files, the emerging evidence uh, of collusion with government, of shutdown, uh, of, of, of free press and free speech, uh, as well as the ongoing released deposition of Anthony Fauci. Third story, we'll look at no no, uh, basketball player left behind but a Marine, uh, the bizarre trade that our government made with Russia. Then finally, we'll do sort of a roundup of what's going on with the political situation with the midterms, Congress, and the Disrespect for Marriage Act, which we've talked about previously. So uh, let's, before doing that, as we always do, we'll look a little bit at what's going on in the liturgical life of the church. Um, Yesterday, as we said, was the great feast of the Immaculate Conception. That feast goes back centuries to the early church, um, uh, but the dogma was not declared infallibly until the 19th century, Pope Pius IX, declared that. But a lot of people think that's when the feast came about. That's not actually true. Uh, the people have been celebrating, Catholics have been celebrating the feast of the Immaculate Conception since really early ancient times. Uh, and uh, that was one of the things the Pope looked to, to say this has clearly been something which has always and everywhere uh, been believed. So uh, I hope you had a beautiful Mass. We were uh, fortunate enough to have a solemn high mass at the society chapel where we go. Uh, it was actually the priest, his first time as a priest being able to celebrate a solemn high mass. Although he's been a priest, he didn't have that opportunity. Where we go, the prior loves solemn high masses and sort of almost every feast, great feast, he, he likes to have them because it's the fullness of the liturgy. You get to see the full uh, liturgical roles on display. Uh, and uh, so this priest and his other assignments hadn't had that opportunity. So it was wonderful to, to see a priest's first solemn high mass, uh, even though he'd been a priest for some time. Um, then we have coming up Gaudete Sunday, which is the third Sunday in Advent. It's hard to believe we're this close to Christmas. Uh, Gaudete means uh, to rejoice. So it is that uh, midpoint, we've gotten two weeks through, two weeks to go, and the church knows that 
we sometimes falter because we're human. We give up and it's a, don't give up. We're almost there, right? We're almost there. Uh, don't, don't, uh, give up. Uh, just like we get Letare Sunday in uh, Lent. Uh, Gaudete Sunday does come from the uh, words in the Mass, the, the introit, Gaudete, uh, which is the first word of the, the introit. Uh, the liturgical color is still purple. However, by indult, a priest may, not required, because sometimes we go, oh, I went, they didn't have this, but it's not obligatory. It's just a, a, a privilege. A priest may substitute rose-colored vestments in lieu of purple. Um, not pink, rose. Priests don't wear pink. It's rose. Uh, Rose-colored vestments, because rose really are a softening of the pink, the pink, the purple. They're kind of a, a, the, the rigors of uh, preparation are sort of softened with joy, lightening that purple color to a rose, uh, rose color. Um, following that, we have a great feast, although it's not on the universal calendar of the church, uh, but only in certain places, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, December the 12th, wonderful feast. Uh, I myself have not been able to go to Mexico City to see the Tiumba of Juan Diego, uh, but uh, my oldest son, who is a priest, uh, as many of you know, who's now in Brazil as a deacon, the uh, seminary took him and all the deacons down there, and he was able to pray uh, for his vocation and for our family at the miraculous Tilma of Juan Diego. And remember, uh, following this miraculous event, when Our Lady appeared to Juan Diego, uh, giving him the sign of miraculous roses to be growing in not only uh, in December, which is not a time for roses to grow, but even roses that were not native to Mexico. They were from Castile in Spain. Because the bishop said to Juan Diego, well, if this is really a blessed mother, have her give me these Castilian roses, uh, which don't grow in Mexico. And Juan Diego uh, does bring them. And uh, when Juan Diego goes to the bishop, he lets the roses fall out of his tilma. And he thinks the bishop is surprised to see these roses because he's amazed to see these roses. But really what it is, is that the bishop is amazed to see the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that Juan Diego didn't even know was on the tilma at this point. Um, it's a miraculous image. Uh, it's been looked at scientifically. It's in a, unexplainable on a natural level. It's clearly not painted on. And uh, even this is a really interesting fact about it. Scientists have taken a, a blown up a magnified image of the eye of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the tilma, and in her eyeball, you can see reflected a miniature image of Juan Diego. So really showing us this was not created by human hands. It was a, a snapshot of that image of Our Lady as she looks at Juan Diego. And if you think about this in the 16th century, they, would, they wouldn't have had the technology to paint a microscopic image in the eyeball of the Blessed Virgin Mary of Juan Diego. I mean, who would have thought if we're going to forge something, right? The, the atheists say this is a forgery, to, to add that detail. That's, you know, it, it really extraordinary that uh, scientists have found by magnifying the, the eye. So to all of our Mexican viewers, a happy face, feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. But even if you're not Mexican, she is the patroness of North America. She's the patroness uh, of our country as well, because she wrought miraculous conversions. Following that apparition, 20, over 20 million people converted to the Catholic faith. Uh, it's amazing.
So uh, wonderful, wonderful feast. Uh, following that is St. Lucy, uh, the early martyr. St. Lucy, the patron saint of eye ailments. Um, she's pictured with uh, her eyes, holding her eyes uh, in, in, a, in a dish. Um, she, her name means light. Lucy, Lucia, uh, and that's so she is the patron saint of eye conditions, uh, early martyr in the ancient church. Um, there's very important saint uh, in the Nordic countries, uh, in uh, Sweden, Norway, Sweden particularly, they have a great ceremony surrounding St. Lucy's Day. They bake uh, St. Lucy buns, sweet saffron buns. Uh, the girl, the, I think the oldest girl of the house dresses with a candle wreath upon her head and brings breakfast in bed to her parents as a gift to them on the Feast of St. Lucy. So a wonderful day full of Catholic traditions. Um, then uh, we will uh, really just have some ferial days, but they're the main, the main uh, feast days coming up. Okay, uh, let's get to our first story, uh, Justice for All, maybe. Now, I want to preface this story. Why are we talking about this? We at Catholic Family News do not like, if chosen, editorial policy, not to become a tabloid like some places. Um, there is no good need to talk about scandal particularly sins against the Sixth and Ninth Commandment of priests uh, that can cause harm to the faith, can cause people to lose their faith, uh, in being so distracted by the human element. And we have to remember the rules uh, for speaking about sins of others, right? It is not just because it's true, and particularly if it's not true, it's, it's even worse, but assuming the crimes are true, one is not really permitted to speak about the crimes or sins of another uh, unless there's a legitimate reason. Um, so there can be many legitimate reasons, um, warning people who are in danger or because justice is not being fulfilled and needs to be, needs to be done. Um, but just if there's a priest who's committed heinous sins and um, maybe he's repentant, maybe he hasn't, and there's really no need to just publish it to get a headline and attention and be salacious is really uh, a sin against calumny, uh, detraction, if it's true. Uh, calumny is if it's false, detraction if it's true. Um, and it really gives scandal. And if it's scandal unnecessarily, then that, that's, that's a problem. So we don't like to just report on these stories for no reason, or to even dwell on the obscene details. We don't need to know them, right? We, we, we have a period interest often, Ooh, but we really is not, we have no need to know that. Um, this story, however, we've decided after much consideration and praying about it uh, to talk about because it's making the rounds and because it's more than the priest involved. Uh, because it involves allegations, which, if true, uh, suggest that the Vicar of Christ is putting his thumb on the scale and uh, intervening to protect his friends rather than letting justice take its course. Uh, and so it really gives us an insight into the illegality that's run rampant in the church since the destruction of canon law. So I want to preface it with that. Again, we also have to be careful with these stories um, because many times they're just accusations. And it's a principle of Catholic justice, not just the U.S. Constitution, that people should be presumed innocent until they're proven guilty. So just because someone's accused, you shouldn't go around reporting stories as if they're true 
as if there's because that's not fair to them. Um, and allegations are allegations and should be treated seriously, but has to be treated as allegations. And someone is innocent until proven by a trial that they are guilty. Well, in this case, um, we don't have a lot of doubt about that. So there is a Jesuit priest, and again, I'm not even going to mention his name. I know it's out there publicly, but it's not important. He is a very famous Jesuit. He, um, and again, by famous, he has been favored by Pope Francis. He is the head of a center in Rome. He has been invited into the Vatican personally by Pope Francis to preach meditations. So he is a high-profile Jesuit. That's all we really need uh, to know. Uh, again, if you really, it's in the public domain, but we don't need to mention it. Um, he was accused apparently back in the 1990s of sins against the sixth and ninth commandment involving a community of nuns. Um, again, we're not going to really talk about it specifically. We're just going to say it involves sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. Well, according to Italian news sources, uh, much of this brought to the attention by Diane Montagna and also by, um, uh, LifeSite News. They have really been doing a uh, great job uh, reporting on this. Um, by the way, if there's anyone in the comments, if you could help me out, since Matt's not here, could you just confirm my audio is uh, is working well, that you can hear me well? It's not too low or anything, because uh, usually since Matt's here, he can tell me. So uh, I know Katie's there. I see you making some comments, uh, but uh, just just maybe give me a quick comment. Let me know if the audio is working working well. Okay, um, so but the according to Italian news sources, the claim to have a, a high up source in the Vatican. This Jesuit had been convicted in a canonical trial. First of all, it's very rare. Since they destroyed canon law, they very rarely have trials. They um, usually just dispense with them for administrative uh, proceedings. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for letting me know. Um, and uh, he was convicted, not of the crime against the Sixth and Ninth Commandment, but actually a more grave crime, one that Archbishop Vigano has told us was a rampant crime with McCarrick, Mr. McCarrick. Uh, that is absolving your partner in crime. So basically persuading someone to engage in a sin against the Sixth and Ninth Commandment with you and then saying, don't worry, I'll absolve you, and then absolving them from the sin that you committed with them, which is very grave because it's a sacrilegious uh, sacrament. Um, so he was convicted by a tribunal that unanimously ruled that he had absolved in confession a woman of age and consenting with whom he had engaged in de sexto. Again, even they have discretion, sins against the sixth commandment uh, relations. Uh, with this being a direct violation of canon 977, uh, he incurs the automatic excommunication late satantiae according to Canon 1378, Section 1, handed down by the tribunal. Yet, according to Italian news sources, uh, very high level in the Vatican, almost immediately after this verdict was rendered last year, Pope Francis intervened within hours to overturn the excommunication, the removing of the penalty from the Slovenian priests. few hours after notification of the sentence, however, due to pressure from the convicted criminal now under canon law, the Holy Father lifted the excommunication in contrast with the decisions of the court. The Jesuits themselves apparently had prepared a statement to say this priest was excommunicated, which they never issued because they didn't need to. 
Um, this is really very troubling information. It's a little more troubling because you might be wondering, what about the underlying crimes, the underlying sins against the Sixth Commandment? Well, the, the court basically uh, said those couldn't be prosecuted because of the statute of limitations. Now, unlike in American civil law, the statute of limitations can be waived. They can't under American criminal law, but they can be waived by the Vatican. The Pope can say, even though it's past statute of limitations, these crimes should be tried. Now, again, he's not obligated to, but Francis has done that previously, uh, but he chose not to do that here. So the court said, we can't try the underlying crimes against the Sixth Commandment because they're too old, 1990s, and Francis didn't grant the permission to do so. And when they cried, tried him for the crime that has no statute of limitations issue, this crime of absolving, the Pope immediately remitted the penalty hours later. Uh, again, this is the act of a dictator who does not enforce the law. He thinks he's above the law. Uh, this is the error of legal positivism that we've spoken about before, that the law and justice are not what they are. They are the will of the legislator. And if the Pope just wants to no, forget about it, he can just make black, white, blue, red, upside down, downside up, right? That it, it is a abuse of the papal supremacy. He is the supreme head of the church on earth, but his supremacy is subject to God, Christ, the natural divine law. And he has an obligation to use that supreme authority in justice. We talk about this in the doctrinal realm. This is in the governance realm. He can't just, hey, I'm the Pope. I'll just let my friends off because that's what I can do. That is a betrayal of his office in his oath. Uh, now, again, these are alleged from inside sources. They are reputable. Massa and Latina left some other Italian sources, and they've been vetted by LifeSite and Don Montagna. Again, we have to be careful. It is not, an, we have no official Vatican confirmation, not surprising. But if they are true as allegations, again, this, this Jesuit priest is not the main focus. It is a really a rebuke to those who just say the Pope can do whatever he wants. We should just obey the Pope no matter what. Um, this, this is a grave scandal in governance of the church. Um, now, the end of the story goes a little further. The dicastery for the, Congre uh, for the doctrine of the faith went on to say that uh, even though he wasn't convicted of these earlier crimes, they don't mention the one that he was convicted of, we imposed sanctions on him, restrictions that he couldn't be doing things. But First of all, it doesn't seem to be the case. He's been publicly seen, been invited to give meditations. Um, and uh, secondly, but that doesn't explain why the penalty was remitted just hours after it was handed down. Again, these are the hallmarks of a dictatorship, not of a monarchy, of a tyrannous state. St. Thomas talks about the difference between a tyranny and a monarchy. A monarchy is the rule of one for the common good. A tyranny is the rule of one for arbitrary personal whim. And it seems that we are, are the monarchy of the church has been usurped by a um, tyranny. Very sad. But remember, if it's in the governance realm, and some of those will uh, admit this in uh, those who say the Pope can do no wrong, will admit, okay, this is wrong. But if he can do this in governance, he can also do it in doctrine. And we have to have eyes to see and ears to hear. 
Okay, um, we will now move to cyberspace and talk about uh, one of the most interesting stories this week, the Twitter files. So as you know, Elon Musk, and again, I, I, I've talked to a lot of people, I'm not really sure what to make of him. He's clearly not a traditional Catholic, but he's, he's doing some interesting things is about all I can say. Uh, things that seem to need to be done. Is he on our side? I don't know. I really don't. But what he's done so far is good. He went through the files at Twitter and said he was going to release information on what they were doing. For many years, many uh, people have been saying that they're being censored, deplatformed, shadow banned. They're, 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 it's hard to find their material um, or just outright thrown off. Uh, and it is politically motivated. Um, and if you just say something against the deep state, deep church narrative, you can have this done to you. Well, it seems that very much seems to be the case. Uh, and so Musk gave the documents that he now owns because he owns the company to a couple of journalists and said, go through them and make these public. So they started doing that on Friday. The first case they put forward was the case of the New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, which was banned from Twitter. Uh, in fact, a Twitter account of uh, the White House spokesperson at the time, spokeswoman, Ms. Um, McInerney, was uh, frozen because all she did was forward a copy of the story, uh, refer to it, just said, oh, by the way, there's the story, uh, by a, a, one of the oldest newspapers in the United States, the New York Post, uh, banned for reporting a story. Well, interesting, the documents they released show that even executives in the company said they had no case, that they're really they're saying this doesn't really violate the policy. It was said to be unsafe. And that's what they use for things that are like child pornography or attempted child abduction um, and not for a story about a laptop left at uh, abandoned at a repair shop. But clearly it was done. There's also evidence even Democratic congressmen were upset about this. That seemed that this did seem to go too far. Well, then the files stopped coming, and it turned out that a Mr. James Baker, uh, who was the assistant general counsel at Twitter, had apparently interfered with the release of these files, had vetted them, and had selectively gone through them and either deleted or removed a lot of information. Apparently, Mr. Musk then found out he was a former member of the FBI and uh, seemed to be not on the right side of history, let's say. He was immediately fired from Twitter. He was exited, according to Mr. Musk. Uh, and he, they paused releasing because said, we need to go through and see what this guy did, because it seems like he had his finger on the scales and what was being released. That was done and uh, he was gone. Now some more files were released just last night or this morning. And uh, they show that shadow banning was real, that there was a secret quote committee of high executives who, even if the policies that Twitter announced, the public policies were not violated, could take cases to themselves and shadow ban someone, meaning that their account wasn't closed, but nobody could find their stuff. If they posted something, it would just go into a black hole. And that they uh, did this secretly and could just intervene with hundreds of cases and do so. Some of the people that were shadow banned, uh, the commentator, the Fox News, and he's got his own radio show, Dan Bongino, uh, Turning Point USA, uh, again, not, not Democrats, not communists, uh, but 
all of one political persuasion. So it looks like he's really producing evidence, uh, as well as some allegations, waiting for some more evidence that there was government collusion. Uh, because again, Twitter is not the government, they're a private company. But if they collude with the government to suppress the press or free speech, then it becomes a constitutional issue because the government cannot do that under the Constitution. Well, it seems that there were meetings with the FBI, just relating to the, the Twitter uh, issue with the, the laptop, the Hunter laptop, New York Post story, that before the story was written by the New York Post, the FBI was spying on Rudy Giuliani and contacted uh, Twitter and said, there's a story it's about to break, better ban it summarizing, but essentially, so that there was a government FBI connection. Um, now, further to that, a related story, uh, there are several attorneys general who are suing uh, a bunch of people and the federal government for constitutional violations over uh, stories about COVID. And they recently released the deposition, deposition and under oath questioning of Anthony Fauci, Fauci the fascist. Um, and, uh, in this, uh, they, he is evidence again, that he colluded with big tech, uh, to censor people, uh, from this deposition, when he was asked questions, he said, I don't recall 174 times. It's interesting. I mean, I'm sure the things people don't recall, but that's, that's pretty Convenient. Um, but in addition, and more importantly, um, Fauci's daughter worked at Twitter as a software engineer until last year. So he had a personal connection. He also testified that he had never personally contacted a social media company to ask for content to be taken down. However, he and Mark Zuckerberg, the uh, CEO of Facebook had 13 different conversations during 2020, according to information obtained during the lawsuit process. So what were you talking about all the time, if not banning people? Um, he also said, in answer to the question, do you think there should be steps taken to curb the spread of misinformation and disinformation? You know, that's not my area, says Fauci. I'm very well aware of the concept of freedom of speech not a concept, it's it's part of the U.S. law. The area of the curtailment of that is something that is not in my area of expertise. Those are legal and other things. I really don't have any opinion on that. Not convenient. Well advised by his lawyer. Uh, so interesting to see uh, Missouri and Louisiana suing big tech and the government where this develops. But again, and what more Elon Musk's release to show that there definitely seemed to be collusion by the deep state to cover up information. So speaking of the deep state, <laughs> our third uh, story, uh, no basketball players left behind. Uh, not so sure about Marines. Yes. So uh, this story has been batting around for a while. There's a women's uh, NBA player uh, by uh, the name of Brittany Kreiner, uh, who was arrested in Russia. Um, uh, she's 32 years old. She plays for the Phoenix Mercury uh, team. And when she was in Russia, was arrested after customs officials found her in possession of vaping cartridges containing cannabis oil, which is an illegal substance in Russia. Um, she was, she pled guilty and was arrested 
Uh, now, again, maybe a liberal, you may think having amount of cannabis oil is not you know, a big deal. Maybe she's from Colorado. I don't know. Uh, but this is the law of Russia and you are subject to the laws of a country you go to and you have to com com you know, comply with them. So she was serving jail time for possessing illegal drugs. Um, now, interestingly, this uh, basketball player is one of the people who would not stand for the national anthem, which took a knee. So by, President Biden's been saying he wants to get her back. So he cut a deal with Vladimir Putin, the bogeyman that he says is horrible and is responsible for everything evil in the world, um, oil crisis, gas prices, uh, everything. Um, so, but he cut a deal to get her home. Why? She's an American citizen, and again, that is the job of the president to try to help U.S. citizens who are who are abroad. Um, usually, it's for ones who are, you know, maybe political prisoners. But, but I mean, again, she seems to be um, convicted uh, of a crime. But how did he get her out? Well, Victor Bout was serving a 25-year sentence in the United States, convicted in 2011 for massive arms dealing. Uh, he had the nickname of the Merchant of Death, sold millions of dollars of weapons, including 800 surface-to-air missiles, 30,000 AK-47s, uh, to Fuerras Armadas Revolucionarias de Colombia, a designated foreign terrorist group that were used to kill Americans there, according to prosecutors in that case. So... The resident chief took Merchant of Death, who sells massive military arms to terrorists, convicted, again, these are allegations, convicted, trades for a basketball player who was doing drugs and serving prime for that. I, we started that story with Pope Francis about justice. Wow. That's, that's, I'm, I'm almost speechless that that's the trade you'd make. Um, in the military, good commander always says there's no one left behind. Remember, uh, have you seen that Mel Gibson movie, We Were Soldiers, when he goes into Vietnam? He says, I'll be the first one off the helicopter and the, la and the last one on the helicopter, and I'll leave nobody behind. Well, we know what Resident Chief Biden did to Americans in Afghanistan. He left them behind. But it also turns out that there is a Marine serving time in Russia, allegedly accused of espionage. Now, um, he did not plead guilty, as far as I could tell, as best I could tell about the case. Uh, Paul Whalen, uh, excuse me, not Paul, David Whalen, uh, was, a, uh, was a, a Marine, and uh, he is serving time in a Russian uh prison. Seems the Biden administration didn't think Paul Whalen was worth a prisoner's swap. He's serving 16 years on espionage charges. He, again, pled innocent, claims he's innocent. And even the, 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 the prior State Department um, have admitted it seems to be trumped up charges. So a Marine is left to rot in a Russian prison I mean, you think for the, you know, the, 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 this terrorist selling arms to terrorists, we could at least get a Marine, but no, 
we get the basketball player who won't even honor the national anthem. That's how far these people have sunk. Sad, sad day for our country. Very sad. Well, our last story is a quick little political roundup of uh, what has been going on, uh, first of all, with the the midterms. Um, as you may know, uh, the Republicans have now gained control of the House of Representatives, so they do control that chamber by a very narrow margin. Um, but there was a runoff in Georgia, and despite I watched the results, uh, Herschel Walker, the, the football uh, legend, uh, being ahead for much of the night, uh, lo and behold, more ballots. They said they counted, and uh, Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, outpaced him. So uh, that is important because a lot of people know that the, the, the Senate, with the vice president breaking the um, ties, the Democrats had control, but they actually have more control by having 51 senators. Because before, even though she breaks ties, they're 50-50, and they had a power-sharing arrangement on the committees that do a lot of the work. They don't have to do that now um, because with the Georgia seat, they have 51-49. They can stack the House. So very, very uh, uh, sad. Not much good will come out of the Senate. The good news is they're probably not going to be able to pass much if the Republicans are trustworthy. We'll get to that in a second. Last update, Arizona governor's race has been officially declared uh, that Carrie Lake has lost. Uh, there was a lot of controversy there with counties refusing to certify the election. Questions. The day of the election, there were machines that didn't function. People couldn't get in to vote. There appeared to be essentially voter suppression. Miss um, Lake says there was uh, shenanigans going on, and she's not conceded. She same, says she's going to go to court. Who knows what will happen? But uh, the governor seems, according to the official stories, uh, that she's not one. So again, seems to happen over and over again in these same states. Interesting. Well, I said to you, not so bad about the Senate, because if we control the House, the way laws work, they have to pass both the House and the Senate to become a law. Uh, if the House is controlled by the Republicans, they'll just not pass any of this garbage the Democrats do. Well, fortunately, we can't rely on these unreliable rhinos. Um The Disrespect for Marriage Act. Due to 12 Republicans, it passed the Senate declaring that everybody has to acknowledge these immoral unions, these immoral sinful unions as marriages, which they're not. Again, it's like Pope Francis. Whatever used to be wrong is now right. Can't do that. Doesn't change it. Can't change the natural and divine law. Pope can't. Congress can't. But these 12 Republicans voted for it. Well, it went to the now Democratic-controlled House because the Republicans don't take over until January, sailed through with some Republican support, and uh, celebrated by Joe Biden, who has signed it into law. And again, now, what does this mean? This is a grave scandal. Because although human law does not have to punish all sins, and they can't. St. Thomas says there's no way that human law can punish everything that's wrong. It's just not prudent, practically prudent to do so. Human law can never promote what is evil. So, again, let's take we talk calumny. Calumny is a sin. 
not all calumny can be a crime in, in common law, in, in civil law, because it's just too hard to know. It's factually difficult. And we just be almost everybody be in prison because we all fall into the sin. And it's just not something that the state should get involved in as a matter of political prudence. But that's very different from the state ordering you to commit calumny. Okay, everybody's got to calumniate somebody uh, every day. It's absurd law, but it's an example. So although you don't necessarily have to punish people for committing certain sins, the government can never promote them or honor them or confer dignity upon a sin. And that's exactly what this does. Sin against the sixth and the ninth commandment, it confers the dignity of the term marriage to them, to which is impossible. As even Aristotle, the pagan philosopher, knew marriage is can only be between a man and a woman. And he gave very logical reasons why that's the case. So very sad that this is the law of the land. Hopefully someday some real conservatives can get control of the government and repeal this iniquitous law. Not in the next two years, unfortunately. Well, there we go. That is our roundup for this week. They're the stories that uh, we have uh, found this week. Uh, we will be back hopefully Thursday on our uh, regular day and time, and hopefully Matt will be back by then. Um, but uh, if you've enjoyed this program, please, we ask you to help us by sharing it, uh, liking it, giving it a thumbs up or a rumble, subscribing to our Rumble and YouTube channels. Remember, Elon Musk didn't buy YouTube. Um, we were banned from YouTube for criticizing Mr. AF. Mr. Fauci, this one may get taken down as well. You can always go to Rumble. If the YouTube disappears or doesn't look, go to Rumble. Subscribe there so you get notified because they don't censor. Uh, if everybody went there, we'd drop YouTube. But as a lot of people still watch us on YouTube, so to make it available to you, we're there. But please go subscribe to our Rumble channel. Uh, and as always, if you like our free content, please consider a subscription to Catholic Family News. Our monthly newspaper, the December paper, came out this week where you can not only get some more information on the stories you report and others, but you can also support our apostolate. So let us end by invoking the Immaculate Conception. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion. Thou may put division in the camp of thy enemies, for thy beloved Son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Lucy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Wish you a wonderful Gaudete Sunday, and hopefully we will see you next week. Oh.